0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. All right, so we are in uh, the book of Acts. I want to invite you to turn to Acts 14. I have a daunting task. 28 verses is a lot of verses. But it's a narrative, it's a missionary journey, and I hope there's going to be some beautiful truths. So Acts 14, the series is titled Being the Church, and how appropriate, because we're just going to see a model of kingdom work. I titled this morning's talk, um, How to Effectively Share the Good News. And I tell you, in a world that's filled with so much Daunting, sad, challenging, disheartening news, we have the privilege as the people of God to share good news. So I hope this is going to be encouraging to you and very applicational. So let me start out with what I believe to be one of the most inspiring stories that I've read in recent days. Over a century ago, a band of brave souls became known as the One Way Missionaries. And it was really unique because in that day, they would purchase their ticket one way. They would board the boat, but they didn't pack luggage. They took the few belongings that they had, and they literally packed coffins. And they loaded their belongings on the ship, and they went to their destination. One-way missionaries. One of the gentlemen, that's amazing story, his name is William Milne. William Milne did that, he got on the boat, he waved goodbye to his family, his loved ones, believing he would never see them again. He went to a primitive tribal people group in the new hybrids in the South Pacific. He gave his life to that people group. Ironically, every missionary that had gone there previously was martyred because they were savage and headhunters. And it begs the question, what would inspire those band of brave souls to go all in, risk everything? And folks, that's our topic this morning. It's because they love Christ and they wanted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms lives from the inside out. So I hope you have your Bibles, Acts 14, 28 verses. If you were with us last week, we were in Acts 13. Acts 13 is a hinge chapter in the book of Acts because there was a prayer meeting. It was at a place called Antioch of Syria. And the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly and deliberately, set apart for me the Holy Spirit's work, Barnabas and Saul to do what? Kingdom work. So let me show you a map of where we are. Hopefully, this will help. We're even going to put it on the big screen. We started this journey in Acts some time ago uh, in Jerusalem. Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, and then after 10 years, the gospel expanded north to Judea and Samaria. And you may recall that an Ethiopian eunuch who was in Jerusalem to worship came to faith in Christ. He goes back to Africa, somewhere around northern Ethiopia and Uganda today. The gospel expands to Africa. Then we head up to Caesarea Philippi where Cornelius, a Gentile, comes to genuine faith in Christ. Then the church moves north to a place called Antioch, Syria. Acts 13 prayer meeting set apart for me. And now the gospel's moving west. And so now you've seen, if you are with us last week, it went to Cyprus. And then up into modern day Turkey. Uh, last week we were in Antioch the and I want to pick up the story there. But I want to encourage you today, if you have your Connect card, take that out, dive in, let me share with you the blessing. The blessing is this. The ministry model of Paul and Barnabas should motivate us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ effectively. And folks, if you're like me, I've been a Christian now 42 plus years, I still need Motivation. I still need encouragement. I still need to get off of Keith's self-centeredness and get on to God's kingdom work. And so I want to encourage you. This is 2022. What a great way to start the year. Thinking, am I effective in sharing Christ? And what does it mean to be effective? And I think we're going to glean some beautiful truths from this chapter. And so four motivations. Let's start out with motivation number one share what I call a conviction-centered gospel. A conviction-centered gospel. In other words, to be effective, to be deliberate, to be intentional, you've got to believe this stuff in your heart. You've got to believe, John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father except through him. So let's go back, if you will, to Acts 13, just one verse there, and then we'll dive into 14. Notice what it says kind of a summary verse of the first missionary journey in the northern part of Turkey. So the message of the Lord spread through the whole region. That's conviction, folks. They were passionate to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the region there that was unevangelized. And there was persecution, as you probably heard last week. Now we pick up uh, the narrative in chapter 14. I love this statement because it connects the dots. Luke is so intentional. The same thing happened in Iconian. What same thing? The gospel's advancing. The kingdom is coming. Jesus Christ is changing lives one person at a time. And we're going to see that continually throughout Acts. So they entered the Jewish synagogue. They spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But notice what happens. It seems as the gospel advance, advances, what happens? There's opposition, there's persecution, there's resistance. It's the kingdom of darkness pushing back. And so, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up. And notice this next phrase. How true to the culture in which we live. And poison the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. As a man thinks, so he'll live. You poison the worldview. You poison the thinking of an individual. Boy, you won the battle. Worldview matters. Pay attention to the word of God. I was at a wedding yesterday, and this is just a side note. Talked to a gentleman. He'd been in pastoral ministry for uh, pretty much his whole life. And I was disheartened in our conversation as we reflected on uh, the journey of ministry and how little the word of God uh, was, was evidenced in the many decades of ministry. And there were other things that the church prioritized over the word. And folks, Brad, team, you did a great job. We worship the Lord through song, right? We celebrate baptism and communion, the sacraments, the ordinances, they're beautiful. But the word of God must be central. Why? As a person thinks, so they'll live. This has to be what we live by and stand by. And so the minds got poisoned, so look what happens. So they stayed there for some time, and I love this, and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. But contrast but the people of the city were divided some siding with the jews some siding with the apostles when an attempt was made by the gentiles and jews with their rulers to assault and notice this stone them they found out about it and fled to lyconian towns called lystra and derby and the surrounding country- countryside but notice the final phrase and there they kept evangelizing Would you agree they had a conviction to share a Christ-centered gospel? They were deeply invested, folks, regardless of the opposition. They're ready to get stoned, and they leave the town, and they keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love the story about uh, philosopher humanist, atheist, David Hume. This goes back uh, quite some time. I love how these men wore their hair back then. That'd be funky. (laughs) Scottish philosopher, skeptic. So one day, Hume was rebuked for going to hear the great preacher, George Whitefield. And if you know anything about history, a great revivalist preacher, very passionate about the gospel. Someone said to Hume, I thought you don't believe the gospel, which he didn't. Hume replied, I don't, but he does. And if you read Hume's story, Whitefield was so Passionate about preaching Jesus, even a humanist, even an atheist, would come and give him an audience. Why? He had passion, similar to Caitlin as she does announcements. Do you preach like that on Wednesday night too? Okay, yeah. Do you hear that? You'd better believe it. Is that true? Yeah. You got a few girlfriends down front. How about how about the guys? Caitlin gets it done. All right. No, you're not sure. Okay. little uh, audience participation. Can I share with you three things that I just stood out to me from this passage about passion and conviction? And folks, just let the Bible speak. When you read it, it just jumps out. Here's what jumped out at me. Number one, passion to be clear. And why is that important? Clarity is absolutely important. Constantly, when you have dialogue with people about spiritual things, I just find it remarkable how unclear things are. I'm in New York uh, between uh, Christmas and New Year and just at a coffee shop. I had the privilege to preach at my home church. I'm sitting in a coffee shop getting ready to preach. Two men sit down, George and Tom, and we spent an hour together just hanging out. And just hearing their thoughts about Bible and God and aren't all religions the same? Well, I lovingly said, absolutely not. Can I share with you? (laughs) It's really not the same. And you know, from who God is, who Jesus is, and so forth, people need clarity about the gospel. Where do I get that from? Look at verse one. And they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. There was a clarity, they got an audience very similar to Whitfield. Here's an atheist and a humanist giving him attention. Why? There was clarity and passion in the gospel. Secondly, Passion to be bold. Look at verse 3. So they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly. And so it begs the question, folks, why boldness? Doesn't boldness seem a little bit pushy? That you're just kind of taking control of the conversation? I think it's the opposite. All it means is that, like then, today, there's great opposition to the gospel. You face it every day. It's the worldview that's being pushed today that's anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible. And so we need a boldness and a discernment to be clear in presenting the truths of Christianity. And folks, boldness isn't arrogance. Boldness isn't bulldozing people over. It's listening well. It's being sensitive to the Spirit's voice and responding properly properly. Do you remember what happened in the early uh, chapters in Jerusalem when Peter and John were thrown in prison and they get released? Acts 4:29 gives us a great prayer. And now Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your message, how? With complete boldness. This is after being thrown in jail. They're being persecuted in Jerusalem. They're praying for boldness. And I promise you, if you want to be effective in sharing Christ, you're just going to need boldness. Why? There's opposition always. And then third, passion to be dependent. And why do I say dependent? Look at verse 3. I love this phrase. They preached, they shared, they evangelized in reliance on the Lord. Friends, the reality is... We share, we declare, we proclaim, we try to live in model, exemplify the gospel. But unless the Lord opens people's hearts, unless the spirit gives conviction over sin, it falls on deaf ears. Where do I get that? Go back all the way to Acts chapter two. When they heard this message, Peter's preaching, they came under deep conviction, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do to be saved? So there was a conviction that the spirit gave and the people responded. I promise you this, in your sharing of Christ, you will know if the spirit's working in someone's heart. You will know that they're they're opening up and receiving and you can keep moving forward with the truths of the gospel. We're going to see in Acts 16 uh, in a few weeks, open doors, open hearts. But I love this picture. Check this out in Acts 16 Paul gets a Macedonian call and there's a gal named Lydia, a God-fearer, professional woman, and what does the Bible say? Notice, the Lord opened her heart. Acts 2, spirit conviction. Acts 16, the Lord opens the heart. Watch for that. Be sensitive to the Lord's work and moving in people's lives and we'll be effective together. Now let me introduce to you, or reintroduce to you, if I will, a resource that we're really um, enjoying here at Westwind. We've introduced this last summer, uh, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. And so many of you already have this book on your shelf. And we are dreaming in the next months that this will be a resource that we will uh, go through together as a church. In fact, uh, just to promote a little bit, a vision luncheon business meeting we have at the end of January. We're going to introduce our Vision Proper team, who's been doing a lot of work over the past many months. But here's what the Vision Proper team, 12 key leaders, uh, men and women, young and old, new uh, seasoned at Westwood, came up with. One are the goals? What are the initiatives? to equip Westwood attendees to confidently share the gospel. All student adult life groups will complete the three circles training, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. And we put a date, folks. We want to hold ourselves accountable. Why? Because this is so important. So I'm planting a seed. Not asking you to pack a coffin. But I am asking you in the next few months to take seriously how to effectively share the gospel and be trained in a tool that we think is uh, exceptional. All right? So motivation number two, and now we got a big chunk of scripture, so stick with me. Share a Christ-centered gospel. And since this passage is so large, why don't you stand with me? Get your blood flowing. a few of you are taking a nap, you can wake up, you know? Why not? Yeah. All right. So this is a chunky passage. Stick with me. Pretty meaningful, though. So fourteen 8, eight through 19. In Lystra, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth, who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, can you believe this? How cool. Stand up right on your feet. And the man jumped up, started to walk around. We've seen that before. This is Acts chapter 3. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the main speaker. Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought oxen and garlands to the gate. He, with the crowds, intended to offer sacrifice. They're starting to worship the apostles. How did they respond? The apostle Barnabas and Paul tore their robes. When they heard this, they rushed to the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men also with the same nature as you, meaning a sinful nature, a broken nature, a nature that needs healing and restoration and redemption we are proclaiming good news to you that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God. And then he starts with creation who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Please be seated. So folks, think about what's going on here. The gospel's advancing, and two things are happening simultaneous in this passage. And both of them are in opposition uh, to the gospel by the enemy. So let's talk about the external opposition. And I'm just going to highlight quickly three verses in Acts 14. Look at verse 2. We already talked about it. There is a movement to poison the minds of those who are hearing the message. Look at Acts 5, 14, 5 and 6. There was a movement to assault them and stone them, so they fled. And then we're going to see in a little bit, Acts fourteen, nineteen. they stoned the apostle Paul. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city of Lystra. We're not going to camp here because we're going to see a lot of persecution as we move forward in the book of Acts. But know this. Anytime you bring up the light of the glorious gospel, one of two things is going to happen. There's going to be a receptivity because the Lord is working. He brings conviction. He opens hearts. But there's also going to be the kingdom of darkness fighting back. Just know that's as real as the air you breathe. But you know what's more interesting to me in this passage What I would call not an external opposition, but an internal opposition. Track with me for a moment. The internal opposition is more subtle. What happens? Here's two missionaries, two men of God, trying to do kingdom work. And all of a sudden, the crowd is putting them up on a pedestal wanting to worship them as they worship other pagan gods. I promise you this, it looks like well this was just easy for them to overcome because they were humble men, they were broken men. They realized that they had the same sinful nature as the people they were preaching to. But you know one of the great works of the enemy today in kingdom work, its popularity There's a lot of individuals globally who preach the name of Christ, according to Philippians 1, for selfish ambition. And all of a sudden, they get elevated. They get put on a pedestal. And you know what happens? Proverbs 16 says, pride comes before the fall. I'm not going to highlight any names today, but if you're at all aware of modern-day Christendom, it doesn't matter where you go. Those who have accepted worship and accolades and fame and fortune from people, even God's people, often find their demise, sadly, through the gospel. Billy Graham is one of my heroes, and one of my favorite stories comes from his life. At a dedication ceremony for the Billy Graham Library in 2007, It was a beautiful day. The presidents of the United States, three or four of them showed up and they were all there. It was just a a God-honoring time. The library was dedicated. And as Billy went through and he saw everything, of course his heart was touched, he thanked God. But one comment he made, he said, you know, as I look at all this, it seems like there's too much of Billy Graham. Friends, I think that's why Billy Graham finished the race well. He was faithful to the end. Why? He had a humble disposition. He kept Christ at the center of the gospel. It's not about people. It's not about popularity. And So yes, the opposition came from without a lot of physical persecution, right? Stoning was a big deal back then. But just imagine the pedestal that Paul and Barnabas could have been put up on. Getting the accolades and the Uh, the name recognition. And and so here's the encouragement for all of us. When we preach Christ and him crucified and God works, boy, we testify of his glory. We testify of his grace. We try to keep Christ at the center of the gospel. And I really believe that's what these men champion. Third, motivation number three, share a cross-centered gospel. Look at verses 19 through 22. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. After the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the town. You know, it's real interesting how the Bible pictures this. It doesn't say there was a prayer meeting, it seems to suggest they thought he was dead. All of a sudden, the disciples gather around, and boop, Paul pops up, and they head back to the city. What's remarkable here is, check this out. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to where? Circle that, folks. They returned to Lystra, the very city he was stoned in. To Iconian, to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Hone in on that verse. Let me put it up on the screen because that's a true summary verse of the book of Acts. Again, Luke is so intentional in his writings. He wants us to capture these big picture themes. This is one of them. You gotta land here, folks. We will never have an easy task. This is a tough calling. Can you imagine being... Paul, getting stoned to death, literally stoned to death. People thought he was dead. He gets up, he goes back to the very city that tried to take his life. That's remarkable. That's passion. That is a Christ-centered and a cross-centered gospel. Now, we might think, boy, that's weird. That was then and this is now. Folks, what is happening now, what happened then is happening now on steroids. All you have to do is track various ministries that look at martyrdom and Christendom today. You'll find that hundreds of thousands of Christians globally are being persecuted and martyred for the gospel. If you want a resource, I encourage you. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. And it's a ministry that you can support, you can pray for, but you can learn how the gospel advances with the, with the cross at the center. Now, in most recent days... You probably are familiar with what happened October 16th, right, in Haiti. Just imagine being deployed. You're from the Amish community in four or five different states in the Midwest. There's a mission base in Haiti, and you're there to serve. There's 17 of you. All the way from infants, through many single women and men, to couples, husbands, and wives, and kids. 17 deployed. You just come from an orphanage, you spend a couple hours, you're ministering to the kids, and a lot of God-honoring work. As you head back to the compound, there's a gang. The gang's name, Mwazo, they're fierce. They surround you, they kidnap you, and they take you away to their base. For two months, you're in this small compound, and it was hard. Uh, Disease infested, uh, very little uh, food, Uh, They treated the kids properly, thankfully. But just imagine, for two months, trying to discern, Lord, what's going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. It's a cross-centered gospel. How did they respond? Read the story, folk. It was miraculous. From the very moments they were captured, you know what they did? They sang songs to the Lord while their captors were there, and they prayed. They had prayer vigils 24 hours a day, half-hour, and hour slots. They prayed to God that we, the body of Christ, would be praying and interceding for their release. Many times they had opportunity to escape. They said no because they had a unity approach to uh, escaping. But just a few days ago, after about two months in captivity, they believed the time was right, and so they left during the night. And there's 12 of them, from little all the way up to couples. And they walked through the night for 10 hours, they followed the star. They, they had a landscape that, that kind of directed them, and they stopped along the way, and they prayed to God. They finally, it's daylight, they met a civilian who called for rescue, and they went home with the Coast Guard to Florida. When I read and reread that story, it just warmed my heart. Why? They witnessed to their captors, The uh, team lead of the gang uh, had a gospel conversation with one of the Amish men. And the gentleman said, listen, we love you, we forgive what you're doing to us, but we pray you'll change your ways why God will judge such actions. And they shared the good news with them. They planted seeds and they were a testimony through song, through word, through prayer, And now they're home telling their story. How does that inspire us, folks? I I hope a lot. Most of us, probably the vast majority here, will never have that kind of encounter. But I promise you this, when you bring up the name of Jesus, when you have a Christ-centered and a cross-centered gospel, there will be opposition. And it'll come from without and sometimes from within. And we just have to work hard to say, Lord, that's part of the journey to see your kingdom come. Now finally, motivation number four, sharing a church-centered gospel. And as I thought about this last section, I thought Luke, again, really wants to champion one thing. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So track with me how the church stands out here. Verses 22 through 28. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and then Pamphylia, and they spoke the message in Perga. They went down to Italia. From there they sailed back to Antioch, meaning Antioch in Syria, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work they had not completed. After they had arrived, they had gathered what? The church together. They reported everything God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Here's what's beautiful about Acts 14. It closes with Jesus' promise to build his church. And friends, today, when you hear the narrative that's being communicated about the church of Jesus Christ, we're often put in a really poor light. The church is looked at, Negatively today, even by some Christians. Why? We go through hard times. It's difficult, this journey, right? And I want to encourage you this morning when you think about the church, think about it in two ways. One, the bride of Christ. We're being adorned now, we're being adorned to meet the bridegroom. And there is a process called sanctification to becoming beautiful to becoming pure like a bride to meet the bridegroom. But we're also the body of Christ. Hands, feet, ears, eyes, nose. We have a function, a role to play. Let's play that part. Let's not give up on the church that Jesus Christ gave his life for. Because you're going to hear the bad press, I promise you. I hear it all the time. I'll never give up on the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. He gave his life to build his church. So let's celebrate it as the early church celebrates it. So what do we try to do? Caitlin said it. We try to tell God's stories. And folks, we want to encourage you. God is working. We know that. We want to hear your stories. We want to know how God is working. Why? So we can do what they did in in Antioch. They came back, gathered the church, and they told God's stories. And people got jazzed. They got fired up. They stood in awe of God. They celebrated his work. And so, when you have a God story, who do you call? Call a man. His name's Brett. He's back there. All right, let's close with our, our buddy, William Milne. Let's go back. And this is one of the most remarkable stories of the brave souls who became the one-way missionaries. William Milne literally lived one way. He went to New Hybrids, South Pacific. For 35 years, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, you can go to that area among a people group that was once headhunters and savages. And here's what it says uh, for William Mill. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Wouldn't that be a great epitaph for us? To bring the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people who are walking in darkness. And folks, you don't have to go to South Pacific. It's in our neighborhoods. It's at work. It's in our school. People need the Lord. Paul Barnabas says, remember my nature? It's a sinful nature. We all have a sinful nature that is broken. And sin separates us from God. And yet Jesus Christ came to redeem us, to purchase our salvation through his precious blood. Let's share the gospel effectively. Let's be like Paul and Barnabas. Let's be like William Milne. Let's be like these brave souls. So what does it look like? I'm going to come back to the application because this is a key thing. We're asking you to pray about being trained between now and June 1st. This is a great resource. Many of you have it. Be trained. Make a commitment. Say yes. Secondly, be intentional. And what does that mean? I think God's opening doors creates divine appointments all the time. Let's walk into those divine appointments. Let's be bold about preaching Christ. Let's be sensitive, but be clear with the gospel. And some people, as we've seen in Acts 13 and 14, will say yes, the kingdom will come. God will be glorified and we will stand in awe of him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Wow, beautiful stories. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of Luke's writings and the inspiration, Lord, the motivation to be like these men who are just like us, broken and yet transformed. So God, would you give us a heart in this new year to become more effective in sharing the good and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, do a work that only you can do, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.